Today we're in Mark 1, uh, verses 29 through 34, and I invite you to follow along in your Bible or in the bulletin where the passage is printed for you. Again, we are in Mark 1, verses 29 through 34. Hear the word of the Lord. And immediately he, that is Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and he took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord, and that it is your voice that we hear speaking to us in it. Lord, what a gift to know what you have to tell us. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive Uh, that we might walk as you want us to walk and rest in your gospel, which is sufficient for us. So, Lord, do the work that only you can do to strengthen our hearts and to convict us concerning sin and righteousness. We give ourselves to you now. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, one of the most famous parables uh, is... of Jesus is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which tells the story of a man who was beaten up by robbers and left for dead on the side of the road. And a priest and a Levite walk by him without helping. And, you know, both of these are religious men who should have known better and done better, but they leave him there. And instead, it's the Samaritan man who uh, you know, to Jews listening to Jesus tell this parable, they would have recognized the Samaritan's unclean foreigner, but it's him who takes care of the man. And he puts him on a donkey and he brings him to an inn. And if you've heard the story, you've probably understood it as a story about how we should treat other people who are in need. And it is. But St. Augustine noticed something about the parable, and that uh, the Good Samaritan saw the man, and then this phrase, had compassion on him. And Augustine noticed that that is a phrase that is used exclusively in the Gospels about Jesus. All throughout the Gospels, we actually see Jesus embodying the virtue and the qualities of the Good Samaritan in his caring for beaten up, hurting people and binding their wounds. You know, the parable says that the Good Samaritan brought the man to an inn and told the innkeeper to take care of him and and that he would come back and pay him for his efforts. You might think of the church as the inn where Jesus is bringing the wounded that he rescues to come and to recover. And Jesus will return to check in on our care for his people. And so Christianity is in many ways about the care of humans. It is first and foremost about Jesus and his care for human beings. He is the sovereign one, sovereign one who can care for far more people and far more thoroughly than any of us could. But secondly, alongside him, it is about our care of human beings who are made in his image. You know, if there is 
one thing that Christianity has brought into this world, it is that human beings are worth caring for, protecting, comforting, and healing. In fact, if you are not a Christian, but you believe that all kinds of people should experience loving care in their life, regardless of what they've done or what they're like, you learn that, whether you know it or not, from Christianity, either directly or indirectly. Human cultures historically have not understood the deep care for humans, have not had that as a core assumption and conviction in their society until that society or culture has encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is something we take for granted. There's only one reason that this is a value and assumption and conviction for Christians, and it's, that it's because our Lord cared deeply for all kinds of human beings, especially the ones that we are prone not to care for. So, for example, you think of the people in this passage. Read with me, verse 32. It says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. These are people who are sick, deeply sick, and oppressed by demons. These are people that the society would have looked at them as a drag on community, on the community. And I think that's just as true today. I mean, these are, you think, especially the demon-possessed people, they're volatile, unpredictable, loud, disruptive, sometimes even dangerous. You know, they're the kind of person that you see them walking down the sidewalk and your paths are going across, and you might decide that you walk across the street to avoid them, that kind of person. And what we're learning here is Jesus came to love those kinds of people and care for them and heal them, and that's what he's doing here. And so today, I'd like us to reflect on Jesus' care of humans Jesus' care of humans by pointing out four truths about his care for humans from this passage. Here are the truths. Number one, Jesus' care attends to both body and soul. Jesus' care attends to both body and soul. Number two, his care is affectionate. Jesus' care for humans is affectionate. Number three, Jesus' human care teaches us to be caring. It teaches us to be caring. And then number four, Jesus' care attracts others. His care attracts others. Uh, and, you know, by the way, I'd like to mention, today is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. It's the third Sunday of every January, and it's a national holiday, but we mention it in church because God is the grounds for the sanctity of life. Because humans are made in His image, there is sanctity in Jesus cares for the body of the ones that no one cares for. You know, the most vulnerable and oppressed people group in the world right now are unborn human beings. And, you know, I noticed the Lindsays are in the service with us. They do so much work in Whatcom community on behalf of the unborn. And so I actually would like to just take a moment to say thank you to, to the Lindsays for that. We love you guys, and we know you do difficult work. That is the most vulnerable and oppressed people group, and probably the second and third most would be the elderly and the people living with disabilities. Christians care about life from womb to tomb, you may have heard that phrase. We're not selective about what life we cherish and honor because every life is made in God's image. 
And Jesus came to love and serve the vulnerable. And so let's learn about his care for human life as we get into this story. Let's look at point number one. Jesus' human care attends to both body and soul, that is, to the whole person. You know, this passage seems to emphasize that Jesus is bringing healing to both the physical ailments of people and to their spiritual ailments. You know, so first he heals the fever of Simon Peter's mother-in-law. But then in, in verse 32, it says, you know, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So he's healing sick people and he's casting out demons. You know, one thing to note here, you might have heard, uh, you know, the, sort of the modern assumption that goes some like th- something like this. Oh, in the Bible, people thought that physical diseases were caused by demons. And now that we have learned more through science, we know that the physical nature of we know about the physical nature of viruses and germs, etc. So the Bible was clearly wrong about its understanding of disease, the spiritual world. But notice the Bible actually does not say that. The Bible does make a distinction. It makes a clear one between demon possession and disease. It recognizes that these are two different things. It does acknowledge, however, that a disease could have a spiritual cause. And I don't think science has or could disprove that. Again, there's some mystery here. But the soul-body relationship is probably way underappreciated in the modern medical world. So, for example, in the book Failure of Nerve, it's by the late psychologist Edwin Friedman, he mentions that he has observed many times when a child's physical symptoms go away after relational problems in the home are resolved. So there's a physical ailment, relational problems are resolved, and the child's uh, disease fades away. In other words, you could have a relational, psychological, spiritual problem, and as soon as it is resolved, the physical ailment go away. That could happen. The spiritual part of a person clearly affects their bodies. And actually, the opposite is true as well. Often, when people are facing bodily suffering, it takes a spiritual toll on them. You know, those of you who live with chronic illness, which is often invisible from other people, but you are acutely aware of it, you probably feel this maybe more than anyone, the sense that, man, is God absent from me? Or maybe you have a sense of doubt or dread about the future because of what your body is experiencing and it's weighing on your soul. It is mysterious, the soul and body connection, how we are both are bound up in the one whole person. But the modern understanding of a person as purely a biological or physiological creature is simplistic. And the Bible's worldview is far more nuanced and, comp- and complex and accurate to our actual experience of being human. You know, and when we think about What this means for the church is we are to care for people. It calls us to discernment. You know, when Jesus is caring for a hurting person, when he's rescued a person and he brings them here for care, we have to be able to discern, is this a physiological problem or a spiritual problem or or both? And that can be really hard to assess, you know, especially with mental illness. Sometimes you don't know which is which. You know, there's not clear answers for a lot of this, but we must at least understand the complexity 
of the human person and the whole person and commit to caring for the whole person with the wisdom of Scripture. And so the first thing to understand from this passage is that Christ cares for people's bodies and their souls, and the church must do likewise. And in this story, we see some subtle details about the way in which our Lord wants us to care for the people he brings to us. And so that leads us to our second point. So first, human care is both body and soul, physical and spiritual. And then second, human care is affectionate. Human care is affectionate. Verse 29 reads, And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. John Calvin, who's a a church, uh, a significant figure in church history, a reformer from the 16th century, you know, he says it's not clear why Jesus took her by the hand, but that his first guess is that it was a sign of affection. It was a sign of affection. Calvin sees a tenderness in our Lord in this act. You know, Jesus could have just healed her with a word, as he often does in the Gospels, but this action was accompanied with affection. And touch, the care of human involves touch. A care of humans involves touch. You know, you might call this Jesus' bedside manner. That he was not only taking care of her fever, but also showing that he cared personally for her. And this is, again, because we are embodied souls. Our bodies matter to our spiritual care in our life. You know, for example, uh, you know, this is sort of why in the early months of the pandemic, you know, when some of us maybe weren't hugging uh, people outside our homes for all those months, it started to take a toll on us. And I remember people's relief when they, you know, they had their first hug with someone outside the home. And it's like, oh, I miss this. Why? Well, it's because people don't just need treatment. They need love. Uh, there's a well-known pastor and author named John Piper who tells a story of a time that he realized just how healing um, and powerful touch can be in, in his ministry. Uh, there was a woman in his church who, she, she was, a, I think, a middle-aged woman and, and who lived alone and had lived alone for some time, and she would intentionally cut herself across her abdomen so severely that she would need to be taken to the emergency room. And this happened several times. And once when he was in there to visit her, you know, he asked, can you give me any light or help about what's going on in you regarding this? Why, why are you doing this? And she said, I like it when they touch me in the emergency room. This woman wasn't cutting herself because she hated herself. She was cutting herself because she wanted to be touched. She craved human touch. And Piper reflects on his realization saying, here's a woman who probably felt very alone very untouched, very unloved, very uncared for. She watched the whole world going its way with people hugging each other and loving each other and having friends or being married. And she had this unbelievable ache in her heart to be cared for, to be pitied, to be touched. And it was a revelatory moment for him to realize that there are people who go through life and nobody ever touches them. More than a theological treatise, this woman needed a hug. 
She needed personal affection. And we see Jesus giving personal affection here to Simon's mother-in-law. You know, institutionally, this is why Christians have often understood that, that care for humans can generally not be done well on large scales. So maybe the classical example of that is the welfare state, which is a, it can be a really helpful safety net. Actually, my, personally, as a child, that safety net put food on our table at one time. But if a federal government tries to care for the poor, it can offer help, but it is going to be incredibly impersonal. A local church is actually far more suited to know a person and have a relationship with them and love them as they are caring for that person. It is difficult for a large bureaucracy to have personal and relational touch. And even systems of compassion can become cold and treat people as statistics. But the Christian care for humans is relational and incarnational. Jesus, the king himself, took on flesh and blood and he touched people. And that means that if this is going to be a community where humans are cared for, one of the most important things that we can do is show up. Is our bodies present with other people's bodies, especially when they're struggling or grieving or facing hardship or are sick? If you have ever been in the pit of grief, you know how comforting it can be to have someone sitting on the couch next to you in silence, but their body is there and you can hear their breathing and they are conveying love to you in a way that no word possibly could. It's the presence of God's people. Love and affection are embodied acts. God did not just love us with feelings or warm thoughts. He loved us with flesh and blood. True human care is affectionate. And when the personal affection of Jesus comes into our lives, it changes us. And so that's the third thing we learn in this passage. So we've learned that human care is both of the body and soul, that it is affectionate, it's personal, involves intimacy and touch. And three, human care, Jesus' human care, teaches us to be caring. Teaches us to be caring. When Jesus has cared for us in our weaknesses, it teaches us, it gives us an, an instinct and a reflex to be caring for others in their weaknesses and to be alert to the weaknesses of others and their move to serve and to comfort. You know, you see that, a little bit of that in this passage with Simon Peter's mother-in-law. As soon as she is healed, it says in verse 31b, she began to serve them, them being Jesus and the disciples. So how do we become a community that more and more is caring for people and serving we must experience the healing touch of Jesus in our own lives and maintain our reflection on his ongoing healing of our lives. Jesus' care for, for Simon's mother-in-law turned her into a person of care. It taught her to be caring. That is the effect that Jesus' that Jesus's work has in a person's life. You know, in Luke's gospel, it says that when Jesus healed all these people, he laid hands on them. 
And the laying on of hands has several meanings in the Bible. You know, one uh, common uh, where, place where we see that is as a sign of reconciliation. So, for example, uh, in the Old Testament, it was used of sacrifices where the priest would make atonement for, uh, for God's people and put hands on, uh, on a bull. But also, ordination in the Bible comes with the laying on of hands. Priests in the Old Testament and officers in the New Testament are set apart by the laying on of hands. And so, those who Jesus heals are not just healed, they are commissioned and set apart and given a mission. Jesus doesn't just save us from something, He always saves us to something. Jesus' human care teaches us and commissions us to also go out and be caring. You know, this is a part of the dignity that Jesus gives to the broken, which is all of us. You know, we live in a culture that puts a huge emphasis on caring for the poor and the marginalized and for the oppressed, which is great. But part of caring for them means saying to them, you have gifts, you have responsibilities, you have something to contribute. We need you. You are going to be healed so that you can be a blessing to others. You know, there's often a push towards what we think is compassion, you know, typically in the form of meeting a pressing material need. And again, that is important. But if that is not paired with empowerment, if that doesn't recognize the dignity of that person to contribute, then it is simply enablement, and it may actually keep that person in a place of neediness and dependence. And if you're curious to learn more about the relationship of all those things to each other, I would suggest the book, When Helping Hurts. Uh, it's a great book. It's since been retitled Helping Without Hurting, but it, it goes into this question of what's truly, holistically helpful. What we learn from Jesus here is that when He heals, He does it holistically. And He restores dignity to people by empowering them to serve God and others. And so what does this, peach, uh, this passage teach us so far about the care of humans? Well, one, that it is both of the body and soul. Two, it is to be affectionate with touch and relationship. Three, that it invites us to be caring as well. It transforms us and gives us reflexes to be caring and calls us to use our gifts to serve others. And then finally, number four, human care attracts others. Jesus' human care attracts others. Notice in verse 32, it says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. Well, who is they? It must be Simon and Andrew and James and John. They did exactly what any one of us would have done if we realized that our friend could heal people. They went and got everyone they knew and they brought them to Jesus. When Jesus is healing and caring for people, it attracts more people. It's somewhat like in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out, the church, uh, poured out on the church and it says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that's the first in a set of patterns throughout Acts where the gospel is preached and a large number of people come to believe and it says that it was added to their number daily those who were being saved or something like that. There was a sense of momentum because God was moving. And here we see Jesus' healing and the momentum that it has and the attraction 
that it has in the town. And some of you may be wondering, are you saying that Jesus still heals people today? Which can be a controversial question. Let me take just a few moments to answer that. On the one hand, absolutely, God heals people today. If you spend your life in concerted prayer for those who are suffering or ill, you will experience countless answers to prayer for their healing. Some of it will be sudden and in full. Other times it will be gradual. But God's power is absolutely still at work in healing people. On the other hand, it is important to understand that the generation of Jesus and his apostles was a unique one in human history. We are not living in a day like theirs. And often when God is doing a new thing, like saving Israel out of Egypt or making David the king of Israel, there will be miraculous events to confirm that something new is happening, to authenticate that God is moving in a unique way. So that's why the writer of Hebrews, who was a second-generation Christian, that is, he did not know Jesus personally, writes this about Jesus and his apostles. He says in Hebrews 2, A great salvation was declared at first by the Lord, that is Jesus, and it was attested to us by those who heard, that is the apostles, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. In other words, God was confirming the message of the apostles with signs and wonders. And that's what we see happening here. Jesus' miracles are, are, are confirming something about him. And you can even see in this passage that Jesus' miracles had a purpose to be a preview of his resurrection and our future resurrection in him. Look at verse 31. It said, He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Well, that verb for lifted is the word that is used for Jesus' resurrection in many places in the New Testament. And in the phrase, the fever left her, that verb for left is often used uh, for forgiveness as well, to describe forgiveness. And so forgiveness and uh, resurrection are being whispered in this healing. This miracle is pointing to Jesus' work and his saving work. You know, this is why missionaries will often more frequently experience miracles as they bring the gospel to a culture that has never heard about Jesus. The miracles are pointing beyond themselves to the forgiveness and new life that is offered in Jesus in the gospel. The miracles are there to point us to the only one who can deeply and completely heal us that is, Jesus is the only one who can give us our deepest needs, forgiveness for broken love, and resurrection for our broken lives. Who else could do that work? Jesus' human care is not only attractive to those with physical ailments, although it is. It is also attractive to everyone, or should be, because all of us have the ailment of sin and feel deep in our bones our need for resurrection. Jesus is powerful to heal not only your diseases, but also your broken relationship with God and with others. It's incredible power that only Jesus has. So in closing, Christianity is in many ways about the care of humans. God cares for humans through His Son and His Spirit working in us. 
He cares for whole persons, body and soul. His care is affectionate and tender and accompanied with touch and compassion. His care changes us and transforms us into people who care. When, imagine the world if there were more people who cared and who looked out for the vulnerable and didn't cross the street when someone was walking down toward you and you didn't want to interact with, but you went up to them with eyes of love. And ultimately, His care attracts the nations. There is nothing more compelling in the world than the love that Jesus has for broken human beings, of whom I am one and you are one. Praise be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we, we cannot open a single page of your word without seeing your goodness there. And here we see it in your tenderness, your love and your care for the vulnerable And Lord, we thank you and we praise you that you know us each individually and you care for us each individually. How good it is, Lord, to have you as our shepherd and as our great physician. Lord, we give ourselves to you. Make us people who know how deeply we've been healed in Christ and who are eager to go out and care for others in the beautiful name of Jesus. And it's in that name we pray. Amen. Amen.